0: The Run Eat Repeat Podcast. If you love running or eating, you'll love this show. Now, here's your host, Monica Olivas. Hello, and welcome back to the Run Eat Repeat Podcast. This is Monica, and I am very excited about today's episode. I am talking with the author of Ultra Marathon Mom, Holly Zimmerman. She is a superior human specimen and has trekked across the Sahara Desert 160 miles carrying everything she needed for a week on her person. I had to kind of take a double take when I read that part of the book. I also needed to ask, where do you charge your phone in a situation like that so you can listen to podcasts? So it's a very interesting interview, but before we get into that, let's warm up. First, let me share a little behind the scenes about what is the hardest part about doing a podcast, at least for me. Maybe this will give you a little insight and or if you have a podcast, maybe we can bond on what is the most challenging part for you. But the hardest part of a podcast for me of recording the podcast is before I press record or no, I press record and then before I can start talking. I have to be quiet for 20 seconds or so. And it's not hard for me to be quiet for that long. I mean, 25 seconds is my limit though, for sure. Not really. But it is kind of this funny anticipation that builds up when I do that. And I always end up messing up my first intro because I don't know. I think it's just like the 20 seconds and the countdown. I always mess it up. I don't know. I just wanted to share that. Next, for the warm up, I am sharing something else a survey. I am taking a survey on runeatrepeat.com right now about half marathons. My half marathon training group is going amazing. Everyone is doing really, really well. But I noticed in doing the plan and talking with the runners that there are some things that need to be changed for the next go round of the group. And it also was specifically meant for first-time half-marathon runners, and I originally had wrote the plan for a couple of like friends and family members that wanted to run their first half-marathon, mentioned it on the blog, and 300-something people later, I was like, oh, this is a lot of people that are interested in this. I never expected that, so I really didn't set it up for a big group and also for anyone that was their first half marathon. And I definitely said this is first time half marathoners. I made it very clear that that was kind of the level that this program was intended for. And also that it's a run walk program, but people signed up that are kind of past that. So I don't think it was challenging enough. And it was obviously their own choice. Like everyone knew this might be a little entry level for you if you're beyond that, but They kind of wanted the team mentality because we have a Facebook group and we're encouraging each other and there's check-ins and all of that. I totally get it. But I feel like I am doing you a disservice because I can do better. And I just never expected so many people to sign up and want to do this. And I love it and I'm very excited, but I want to step it up next time. And so I have been putting together the next training plan that is not just for beginners, And it's also based on a lot of the questions I get and a lot of the goals and concerns that my readers and listeners have. And there are things like, I want to run a sub two-hour half marathon, or I want to lose weight, or I want to incorporate underwater basket weaving. Like, how do I balance that? So I have put together a very thorough, comprehensive, half marathon training plan that I think hits all the bases and it is a beast in a good way. It's just though might be overwhelming and I don't know if I am overdoing it, if there's way too much information. So this survey is for anyone who wants to run a half marathon, loves half marathons, has a very big opinion on half marathons and half marathon training. I'm just kind of asking what your goals are what your different needs are, if you need these parts of the plan, or you can kind of, you're set with that, just so that I can make sure that I am not drowning everyone in random info. So that is at runeatrepeat.com. Check it out. I think there's like 10 questions. It's pretty easy, should be pretty quick. And then that will also get you on the list when you fill that out to get a heads up when that program is launched. So check it out at runitrepeat.com, And I will also put a link in the Facebook group. Now, I am very excited to introduce you to today's guest, Holly Zimmerman. She is the author of a new book just out, Ultra Marathon Mom, From the Sahara to the Arctic. And a lot of the book is based around her story, her account of doing a 160-mile ultramarathon through the Sahara Desert. But beyond that, she has run all over the world, so many different races, had so many different race experiences and met tons of interesting people that the book touches so many different bases. She's run Boston in the Arctic. It's just really amazing and very interesting. I will put a link in the show notes the book so you can get it. It's available on Amazon. Also, little fun fact, as we speak right now, I am wrapping this up after I talk to her. She is on her way to do the Mount Everest Marathon. That is the next thing on her to-do list, which is amazing. And she's a mechanical engineer, vegan, mom. She has so many different, super interesting facets that are often mentioned in the book and different stories. I love it. And I wanted to pick her brain for the longest time, but she probably had to go run for another ultra and also get on a plane to Kathmandu to go to Mount Everest, which is amazing. And hopefully we can follow up with her after she crushes that and speak with her about that experience. But let's get to it and talk to Holly. Holly. Hello, Holly. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. I am very excited to ask you tons of questions about all these amazing races that you've done. But let's start off with just how did you get started in running?
1: I always was involved in sports. In in school, and in the university, I took part in uh, team sports. And then once I started working, I joined a gym, but I was lacking a little bit of of the running. So I started running just on my own, but not far, maybe two or three times a week, five kilometers, just just to be active. And it wasn't until the birth of my fourth child that I ran in my first race, a 5K race. And it was here in my village. It was just this little race. And it was only six months after I gave birth. I was still overweight. And I said, "Okay, 5K, I can do it. And I set myself a time goal of 30 minutes. And I think I came in in like 27 and I was addicted. I was just so addicted. And then I got myself a GPS watch and then I started running longer and and faster. And, and it just really skyrocketed from there. And uh, two years later, the first half and two years after that, the first marathon and the year after that, the first ultra.
0: I love it. And yeah. So how long ago was that, that you did that first 5k?
1: Well, my son is 10. Uh So only 10 years ago. 10 years ago, yeah. yeah. I do like- but that's the beauty of ultras is that you can get in late. You don't have to be 20 or 25 years old to be competitive in an ultra. I mm-hmm. mean, the the most competitive age group is like 40 to 45, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit younger, but they're the ones that, that come in first. Why is that? Yeah. And but endurance, uh, It's. I think you... You need years in order to train that. And it's a big mental game, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's really half the battle where they say 90% of an ultra is, is a head game. And the other 10% is also a head game. <laughs> Once you've done, you, if you have your training done and your body's ready, then it's just a battle of with your mind. And I think the, the older runners, um, are better to able to cope with that.
0: Yeah, I had just actually heard about that, how interesting it is that we think of someone at their peak of, you know, athleticism, being yeah. kind of younger, but even the best marathoners are often in their, like, mid-30s, dads yeah. who just won Boston. Yeah. I think the the guy that holds the world record right now for the marathon was, like, 35 or something, and just yeah. kind of seems odd, but it is, yes, like, you have to be, it's kind of, like, older and wiser, they're right, saying, right, you just have to run
1: it's- smart, so inspirational for us.
0: I know it gives like everyone hope because <laughs> a lot of times right. you do think you're like, "Am I too late to get into this?" Or you know, "Do I have to be yeah. this like young gazelle that yeah, is just a natural?"
1: Mm. But, I mean, there's a lot of people that come in as in the midlife crisis and say, "Oh, um, I need to lose weight, and, and I don't know how much uh, more I can do. I want to get my youth back," and so they turn to running, and they can still be competitive.
0: Mm -hmm. That is Mm -hmm. so inspiring. So how then do you think um, your mental training works in with your actual physical training for ultras?
1: I I don't do mental training. I Mm -hmm. think you can do mental training, but there are people that have it and people that don't. I've been to races where there are runners who are so in such great shape and they're really elite performers, and they will not make the finish line because their head is not in it. And others who, you know, haven't really done the best training possible and aren't in the great shape and maybe have a few extra pounds and they're going to reach the finish line. So I think that's kind of inside you too, whether you have it or you don't. Mm -hmm. Everyone has their, their motivational tricks. Um, but I think it really comes down to your character
0: I love that. Do you um, listen to anything or have any sort of podcast, music, anything? Yeah. Like what do you do when you're, I guess, training and when you're actually in a race?
1: Well, training, the long runs, I like to listen to podcasts. Mm -hmm. This week I've been listening to you, (laughs) but I love Rich Roll, so he's, he's always on the top of my list. And, um, but during races, I don't listen to anything. There's just, it's so exciting and I like to take everything in and have a clear head. Mm -hmm. I
0: love that. Well, and I was thinking too, especially with the ultra that the ultra marathon mom book is about like where I was thinking, where would she charge her phone if she was using her phone to listen to podcasts? (laughs) I was kind of like, like trying to figure out how you would even be able to do that for a race that long.
1: That race is really extreme. I I didn't have a phone. We didn't have any electronics. There were some people that brought uh, these portable solar panels and charged their cameras and their phones. Mm -hmm. But I chose not to do that because you have to carry everything on your back for the whole week. Your clothes, your sleeping bag, if you want a mattress and all of your food, all of your gear. So, I, I wanted to save weight everywhere I could. So I figured, Hey, I can live without my cell phone for a week, but there were others that had it. So
0: yeah. Well, and you're talking about a week, just in case people aren't familiar with this. What is the, the race that the kind of book
1: goes through um, to start off right, with the details. It's called the marathon desables, which is French is actually means marathon of the sand. And it's in Morocco And it's taken place now, I think, I was in the 31st edition, and that was two years ago. And it covers about 250 kilometers or 160 miles through the Moroccan Sahara Desert. And it's fully self-sufficient, which means, you, like I said, you have to carry everything on your back that you need for the entire week except for water. They give you that. And they'll give you a tent at night to sleep in. There's like a tent camp, and you have the same tent mates, and you're in the same tent every night. And then every day you run about the distance of a marathon except on the fourth day you run a double marathon yeah (laughs) so it is very extreme and of course you're talking uh, 40 degree celsius oh sorry i gotta translate that to fahrenheit (laughs) 110 degrees fahrenheit air temperature during the day but the the sand temperature is higher than that it's about 150 um so It's a very extreme environment. Your feet swell, and everybody has blisters and bloody feet, and you're carrying 15 pounds on your back. Um, That is an extreme mental battle. I mean, I was really well-trained, but if I wasn't strong in my head, I would have never gotten through it. My mantra for that race was the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Mm-hmm. because it was just, I just need to make this course as short as possible. Mm-hmm. And the course markers were every few hundred feet and you could sometimes go on the top of a sand dune or down below. And I just, just followed that straight line. I must've said that a thousand times during that week. Uh huh. I love that. And I actually yeah.
0: had to read that. I reread that part when I first saw that you had to carry everything with you. Yeah. I was curious because, are, are you carrying every uh, all the food you need to eat for the entire time or are you able to just take with you the food that you want during like the fuel for that <laughs> segment you're laughing <laughs>
1: <laughs> that would that would have been nice <laughs> right like I was no, just, for the I, entire I, week oh it was God. crazy because but but the good thing about it is every bite that you eat, you know, your pack is getting lighter, right? (laughs) So by the end of the week, I was down to about 10 pounds on my back. And I was like, (laughs) wow, this is great. But it's just ridiculous. Oh my gosh. I didn't bring a mattress. I mean, you you just try to save weight everywhere you can.
0: Uh Uh-huh. I Mm. can't, that's, uh, that, that is amazing. Yeah. Because I know even in marathons, I have had a handheld water bottle it's like a particularly hot race Mm -hmm. and just like once Mm -hmm. the water's out of it i will like toss it like i'm like nope and it's a good water bottle you know it's like a good handheld nathan water bottle it's just too heavy and i'm just like no i can't like (laughs) yeah exactly that is so amazing you can relate the book is so detailed in kind of every stage how did you keep track of that as you were out there
1: Well, the original idea of the book was as a guide for that race, because when I was when I was planning for it and preparing for it, there was no information available on the Internet. I think there was one blogger in England and I must have read through her stuff about 100 times. And so I thought this is this is so difficult. How do I know what is the best type of food there? What is the lightest? What is the best gear and what to expect And so when I was there, I had a small diary with me, and I kept a daily journal. And then when I came home, the first two weeks that I was home, I just sat down and I wrote it all out when it was fresh in my head. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty detailed. And then I thought, you know, this is a shame. I have so many other really neat stories and adventures that um, I could really incorporate into the book, too. So I put those in between the chapters in the desert and some flashbacks and some training tips. And I think my goal was to make it read more like a novel versus a training guide so that anybody could read it, not just somebody looking for tips. You know, people that are not runners could read it and enjoy it. Yeah, that was the goal.
0: And it it does come off like that. It's very interesting, but I do see like I was like, oh, like, that's a good little tip. You know, they're all worked in there (laughs) through your experience of actually doing it.
1: Yeah, good. Glad that came out of it.
0: Yeah, it definitely did. And so to go from to that ultra, what leads up to that? Like it is, is it a shorter ultra or a couple marathons? Like, how did you get to that point of wanting to do that race?
1: Um, yeah, I had done some shorter ultras. I had done a, a back-to-back race in Switzerland in the mountains. That was a marathon on the first day and a half marathon on the second day. And the marathon de Zablas, they market it as the most difficult race in the world. And I think that's why people go there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just the ultimate challenge, I'm not sure how big it is in the U.S., but it's pretty well-known here in Europe. There are, I think, 400 French starters each year and about the same number of British starters. So um, it's well-known, and, um, and, of course, I just thought, wow. Just, you know, when I see something that makes me say, wow, then I can't get it out of my head. And, and I said, okay, I can do this, and I did. <laughs> <laughs> Do you
0: have to qualify for that race or how do you get into it?
1: No, you don't. Anybody can can do it. Yeah, it's one of those few. I mean, you have to have a medical form like a lot of races. Yeah. A lot of people walk it too. Walk the whole thing? Yeah, I think 10% of the starters walk the entire distance. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, so it's doable. Did
0: you know anyone going into the race that you were running it with?
1: No, I didn't. But um, I met somebody there who we shared a tent together, mm-hmm. and Beatrice, and she's a chapter three in my book. And um, she and I became good friends. And we're actually our next great adventure we're doing together. And we leave next week and head to Nepal, and we'll run a marathon on Mount Everest. Oh wow! Is our, <laughs> our next great adventure?
0: Oh my gosh, that sounds amazing and super scary at the same time what is so it is like a marathon 26.2 or is it um
1: right it's a full official distance marathon we we fly to Kathmandu and from Kathmandu we fly then to Lukla which is in the Himalayas and it's a very small airport and which I just recently found out which I wasn't too thrilled about learning about is it's known as the most dangerous airport in the world it has a very short landing strip and you can only land in one direction which is going uphill and there's a ring of mountains right behind it so you really don't have a, a second chance if you don't make the landing you can't you can't turn around and try again and then you can only take off downhill and at the end of this short runway the 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 runway drops off like um half a mile to the next village down below. Mm-hmm. So, so, and then you are talking about oxygen, oxygen deficiency. I think, you know, we have high altitude sickness to, to battle with, and we need 10 days to get up to base camp, three days of acclimatization stops along the way. And once we're at base camp Mount Everest, we sleep there for two nights and the marathon goes from base camp, essentially back down the way we just hiked up. Oh okay that's so different. with with all that I have to go through beforehand I'll be happy once I end up on the starting line and the, the toughest part will be behind me I think
0: right there's so much leading yeah. up to that. Have you um, mm. I, how do you prepare
1: for altitude? can you? And they have these these chambers that you can um, run in or, or bike in, but they're really expensive um, masks you can also buy or tents. But I didn't do any of that. You can also adjust your training with intervals, which obviously work the anaerobic system and that helps you with your oxygen uh, consumption in the body. So that's what I've been doing is, is doing some at least one interval training per week and a tempo run to keep that up to par. Other than that, I think it's also you never know. Uh, you could be in great shape and get up there and and you just can't handle the oxygen uh, deficiency and then you have to go down. So it's a uh, big question mark.
0: Mm-hmm. So there are kind mm-hmm. of strategies in place if that were to happen to someone that they yeah. just take you they, down. They'll there. take you
1: back down. Right. Or at least you go down another um 1000 feet or something and see how see how you feel. And then maybe you just need another day to stop and then you can go they, they work in a couple of days extra so that you can still make it to the start of the marathon. So we'll see There's How many people do this? There are for the marathon 180. There's also a half marathon. Um, and for the marathon, I think there's 80 of them are Nepalese. So they're locals, mm-hmm. and they're always the first ones to finish, and mm-hmm. sometimes by hours. And then <laughs> finally comes the first international runner. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they're running like they're, like they're at sea level, and that's that's crazy because it's not only that we're. It sounds like you're running downhill on a trail. That sounds lovely, but you're running up and down the entire time. You have you lose almost fifteen thousand feet. But in in between you go up nine thousand. So you really only have a loss of six thousand feet. You're going up and down the whole time. So I mean imagine just a marathon with a nine thousand feet climb. That's that's crazy. Oh (laughs) completely yeah. (laughs) So it's gonna be really difficult, regardless if I had oxygen or not. And what is the weather like? In Kathmandu right now, it's yeah. hot and sunny, so I'll take my bathing suit for the hotel pool when I get there. And then uh, up at base camp, we have it's below freezing at night. I think during the day it hovers just just above freezing, so I need all my winter clothes. And uh, we run down to the finish somewhere in between, which will be maybe 60 degrees. Mm-hmm. So it's that, you know, that'll be nice, but I have to start with warm clothes on and I'll, and I'll wear a camelback and be able to put some of my, my gear in there if I get too warm.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, um, mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you too, because I am so dramatic about the cold. Like, I wish I wasn't, but I just, I mean, I'm in Southern California, born and raised. Like, I just, Mm -hmm. I I joke that I just want to be a lizard on a hot rock at all times. that sounds awesome. So I'm bad, I'm bad at cold weather. And I know that you have run in freezing conditions in the past, so you have the gear ready for that. But I mean, how do you, were you fully prepared? You did a race in Greenland, right?
1: Yeah, that was also on the polar circle. I don't like the cold either. I mean, I really don't like it. Um, but that's part of the challenge. Mm-hmm. That's just part of the challenge. Getting through that, and once you've done it, it's like, wow, I can do anything. Anybody can do it. It's it's a it's a mental battle. even you could do it
0: i (laughs) i have like i've thought before i would love to do the seven continents you know and i'm like oh but the cold like it was just like (laughs) i would rather run through the sahara (laughs) yeah i'm like i would rather run through the sahara than like i just i'm not a cold weather girl but so what i guess comparing it because that's the sahara is so so hot and then you have that extreme on Mm. the polar circle of being freezing Mm. which Mm. do you think is harder
1: it depends on the person. Like, I mean, I also like the heat and this. Uh, I f- I'm comfortable in the heat and I did not like the cold, but there are other people that are complete opposite. So it's just a matter of taste. It's so funny when I was running in the polar circle, I was passed by a woman who, I mean, I had four or five layers on and she runs by me taking off her jacket and taking off her gloves. And I looked at her like, what are you doing? And she said, I'm going through menopause and I'm having a hot flash.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. That's kind of good timing. Yeah. I mean, if you're <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my yeah, God. I heard, Cause you're just like, that is ridiculous. You think of what, what is going on? Exactly. Oh my gosh. That's yeah. so exciting. Yeah. So with, Um, all of your experience, obviously traveling for these races, having to carry so much gear with you. Do Mm. you have any tips, any like awesome system in place for making sure that you have everything and you are packing
1: super light and efficient? Well, for the Marathon de Zabas, that was really a science because you had to take the weight down as much as possible. And you have, you have certain gear that you have to bring. It's required and they do checks. So you have to have a compass. And I bought a compass that had a really long flange on it, which was a standard compass. And then I took out my Japanese saw and I cut the flange off and saved maybe six grams. Mm-hmm. But if you do that everywhere, it adds up. We also had to take a venom pump in case we get Bit by a poisonous snake or scorpions, so <laughs> you have to have that on hand and and accessible on your backpack because obviously if you're bit by a scorpion when you're running you, you don't have time to to search through everything. So I was... wish
0: this was a video <laughs> call right now because I am having like a panic attack just. I cannot, I cannot, I cannot like this is, I mean, it's like very smart to be prepared, but I am dying of of like the possibility that this is, it's like the possibility to the fact that, yeah, it's not just that the aid station has something to help you, but no, keep it on your
1: person (laughs) hand. Save yourself. Oh my gosh. Venom pump and, and pull the venom out and then keep on running. Oh, (laughs) i didn't see any scorpions but a lot of people did Uh uh-huh yeah
0: (laughs) that is ridiculous and um so you had this list of things you had to take and you just outside Mm -hmm. of that either tried to make it uh, literally cut off anything that was extra
1: yeah same with the backpack i cut off um Straps and bands and all kinds of things, and I think on the backpack alone, I saved like sixty grams, which is also a lot. And then the the food was the most difficult because you needed it was required to take two thousand calories per day, and obviously you run all day long, so you're burning probably four to five thousand calories, mm-hmm. and so you have to have select your food that has the most calorie content with the least amount of weight. And that's not so easy to do. You need to make sure you have all your your vitamins and minerals too. And a lot of people brought these dehydrated camping meals, which you boil some water and you put it in, and you have your spaghetti bolognese or or, or any gourmet meal. But they were relatively heavy, mm-hmm. and it made a huge portion. And when it's hot and you're running, you don't have a huge appetite. So that wasn't the best option for me. And I went primarily with simply sports bars and nuts and dried fruit. And that's essentially what I lived on for a week. And people said, hey, you're you're nuts, but it it really worked. You're not that hungry. And I'm getting everything that I need in these sports bars. And they're very calorie dense. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So I figured for a week I can do it. Um, For a year, there'd be something else, but Mm -hmm. it was a special.
0: The dried fruit is a good idea because I thought, oh, like when it's hot, you tend to want fruit, or I do. Speak for myself. Um, yeah, and I was just like, oh, I would miss fruit, but I guess you, I would. I had it. I mean, yeah,
1: you would have it.
0: <laughs> You're vegan. Did I read that correctly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, does that make a bigger challenge for you at all in training?
1: Absolutely. When I'm at home, it's no problem, of course, but anytime I go anywhere, I know in the us there are lots of vegan restaurants and even if it's not a vegan restaurant, there's always vegan alternatives on the menu but it's not like that here in Germany and so it's really hard for me to eat out even last week we were in Austria and we were at a restaurant and the only thing for me was a side salad and, then, <laughs> and you could probably have ordered some potatoes, but you know they, they'll cook them in butter or something. So Mm -hmm. it's really difficult here still. And planning to run in Everest, we don't take our gear with us. We can't take all that much because the Sherpas have to carry it up the hill. We're limited to up the hill, up the mountain. Um, The Sherpas limit our bags to 15 kilograms a piece. And so you need a lot of gear. You need your winter clothes. And so I can't take all my food. I will take a lot of things. And I was watching a lot of videos about what The trekkers are given to eat on the way up there in in the restaurants. And there's a lot of food with yak milk and yak cheese. And there's not very much meat, so that's not a problem. But things are cooked in butter and cheese is on everything. And I thought, this is really going to be difficult. And so to avoid (laughs) yakking up the yak (laughs) cheese on my trek up the mountain, I've started um, during the past couple of months eating a little bit of cheese in my diet so that my stomach um, will get used to it before, before I get there. I didn't really see any other alternative. And, um, you know, I'm a vegan for health purposes alone. And so I thought, okay, it's, <laughs> this is, this is the best option for me.
0: Yeah. That is so smart. I love that you say that because. I am always big. People always ask, like, "Oh, I have a half marathon this weekend. What should I eat?" And I'm like, "What did you eat in training? You know, like, <laughs> like just like yeah. don't you can't change it up now. Like, even if I were to have an yeah. awesome suggestion, you should keep it the same because <laughs> you don't know how your body's going to react. And especially when I I feel like traveling makes it that much more challenging, potentially with like a yeah. time zone or you know, you just kind of get a little more anxious. It's just like a lot of things can factor into. Right. stomach issues. And then if you're eating right. something
1: that is out of the norm, it could, right. I mean, in a different country, in a different culture, yeah. when you don't even speak the language, how am I going to ask them what's in here? Yeah. And it's not an option to not eat. Mm-hmm. You know, you need this energy. So I love that. that's my that's, solution. That
0: is very smart. And I just feel like, yes, <laughs> you're making the best of it. Cause it's just like, yes, this is part of the situation and it doesn't mean, right this long coat thing. is just like, this is how I am. It's right. problem solving. I feel like a lot of mar- when you run a marathon and there are sometimes things where you're just like, yeah. Oh, my stomach feels a little weird or mm-hmm. oh, this or, Oh, you mm-hmm. know? And I, I just think in a marathon, it's problem solving. Like, you're not like, Oh no, mm-hmm. the sky is falling. You've just got to be like, okay, right. maybe I need a little more water. Maybe I need this. Right. You know, you just have exactly. to
1: have to adapt. Right. And usually after a few minutes, the problem's gone. And then another problem comes along, but gives you something to do, right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is so, so true. I I definitely want to hear more about the Everest race, but I know that as well, we were talking earlier about kind of keeping everything lighter in your pack as light as possible. Mm -hmm. But I love the story about the guardian angel that you took with Mm -hmm. you for the Boston Mm -hmm. Marathon.
1: Mm, What was your friend gave you that? Yeah. um, And my best friend from when I was young in elementary school and we're still close friends. And when I saw her right before the Boston Marathon in 2013, um, just as I was saying goodbye to her and and was going to head to Boston for the race, she pressed this small metal object in my hand and she said, this is your guardian angel. Take her with you. And. My first thought was, oh, no, this thing is heavy. <laughs> and it it weighs really almost nothing. But something just said to me, she's coming with me. And um, there was obviously a reason for that because, you know, the, the Boston marathon race that I ran was the year of the terror attacks and the bombing. And I was in the finish 14 minutes before the bombing. And collected my bags uh, and my clothing, and as I was heading back to the the runner's exits is when the bombs went off, you know, maybe 500 feet in front of me. Right, so um, I had somebody looking out for me.
0: Did you know what was happening?
1: Not at all. Not at all. We're, you're in masses. I think you've run Boston too. You know what it's like when you get into the the finish. You're under masses of people and mm-hmm. runners. And, and everyone is so uh, just on cloud nine. Mm-hmm. And the weather was fabulous. And, I mean, we just finished the Boston Marathon. And we were so excited. And, and you're walking to go to the runner's exit. And then up ahead, I just saw this. It was a loud noise. And then I saw this ball of smoke go up into the air and it wasn't like it it wasn't like a lot of debris and it wasn't dark colored smoke it was like clear white smoke and I thought oh it must be part of the event you know maybe a cannon shot or but all of us runners we stopped for a second and we looked and then we took a couple more steps, and then the second explosion went off and And everyone knew mm-hmm. and and then slowly the panic started to set in, and people tried to get out as soon as they could and get on the side streets and then And then all hell broke loose. I still had no idea what had happened because I was under among so many people, and I couldn't see that far ahead, so we were just all trying to get away and then the ambulances started coming in one after the other, and and the the noise was just amazing, and and the, they were trying to push the runners off to the sides of the street. I mean, you have you have hundreds and hundreds of runners, and the ambulances are trying to come through, so it was really absolute chaos, and. Um, I tried to get out to where the meeting point was for the families and there were security men there said no stop stop go back the other way go the other way and I didn't know exactly where I was I just knew I had to meet my family there and thank goodness my husband and children were not there but my father and my aunt were there and so I squeezed through the barricades and and ran out there and uh, this is very upset, but I still, like I said, I did not know. And then once another block away, I got to the meeting point. My family was not there and I started to cry. And there were people at that point that didn't know anything mm-hmm. that was going on. It was a couple blocks away from Boylston uh, and I wasn't sure what was going on. So I was trying to cover my face so that I wouldn't upset people. Um, and then thankfully um, my father and aunt showed up and I immediately called my husband back in Germany and said, I'm okay. I'm okay. And he's, he's like, what are you talking about? Then, then this, this cell phone networks were shut off. I think they were afraid of like a triggered explosion from a cell phone. Mm-hmm. And we made our way into Copley Plaza mall where my aunt's car was parked and they wouldn't let us down into the parking garage, but we got into the mall and, then they had a lockdown and we were in there with quite a few other people and a lot of runners that had been stopped just before the finish line and they were brought into there for safety I mean, just before the finish line and they were all freezing cold because they hadn't gotten to their bags and and they were given tablecloths from the restaurants and um, I gave one of them my heat sheet blanket. <laughs> and so we were down we were in there in lockdown for a good hour and a half. And at that point I got a text from my husband who then was watching the news and gave, it still upsets me <laughs> how many years later, but um, he gave me the news that two were killed and 40 injured. That was the first report. And yeah, that was, um, it, it was a long day.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. That's, just so scary too, because you just mm. feel like you you don't know exactly what's going on, you know. Yeah. And just to be kind of stuck there. I mean, you found out from your husband in Germany, like, what, right?
1: What is going on outside? Yeah, I was just so relieved that my children weren't there. You know, I saw people running through the streets with their kids tucked under their arms, and I was just so relieved that for once they weren't there with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I was one of the lucky ones. Yeah.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. And I mean, did that affect you at all for your next race? You know, cause you're in this like very similar situation where it there's a ton of people and it's loud sometimes and to go and run a next race. I don't know how, has it changed your kind of perspective on it?
1: Um, f- for a while afterwards, for maybe the first year or so, I was uncomfortable in large crowds and, sirens from ambulances would bring tears to my eyes. Um, but now it's been um, five years. So um, now I'm, I'm okay. I, I'm not afraid at any races. I'm not afraid of something like that happening again. Um, just, you know, at that point, there were things that would occur that would trigger it in my mind. And even now, as you just notice, um, the emotions come back.
0: Yeah. So real. Um,
1: Mm.
0: I, yeah
1: Boston I, Boston is strong right
0: yeah I do you want to run it again
1: yeah at that time I thought no but I do want to run it again mm-hmm. I do Boston's great It best is best marathon in the world
0: oh <laughs> uh, yeah it's it, it's magical it definitely is it There's really just is something so special about that race
1: the spectators are just incredible
0: yeah I love They're it so
1: entertaining yeah carry you through it
0: So outside of Boston, what is Mm -hmm. your favorite race?
1: I really like mountain races. And here I'm spoiled with the Alps being only a couple of hours away from me. So I do run a lot of races there of different distances. And a couple of years ago, I ran a race called the Zugspitz Extreme Berglauf, which is a race up to the tallest mountain in Germany. And from from the valley down below up to the top, it isn't particularly long it was only about 10 miles and about 10,000 foot climb so it was really fun i mean we I don't remember how many starters. There were a lot of starters. And you start in the valley down below. And there, it's summer, and I was in a tank top. And you run up to the peak where there's snow mm-hmm. on the ground, and it's a glacier. But it was just it a short enough race that you have energy the whole time, and you're going up and you're going down. And and the terrain, it was just so much fun. Sometimes you'd have to run down a a grassy hill and people were just scattered everywhere and just laughing and, and running and jumping like kids and Mm -hmm. and yelling and everybody's talking to each other. It wasn't really so serious. It was just fun. And I got up to the finish and I was kind of like sad that it was over.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And there you are on the top, the top of the tallest mountain in Germany. That was a great race. Yeah.
0: I love that. Definitely one of
1: my favorites.
0: It sounds like you're good at this whole mountain thing. Uh, what is <laughs> what is training like for Everest right now What's kind of like your most recent training run?
1: I essentially train like I train for a marathon. I have uh, one long run per week. Um, and then the other runs right now, actually, I'm only running four times a week, but over 50 miles a week. So each run is pretty long. Mm-hmm. And then I do strength training three times a week. And some bike riding, usually twice a week, either indoor or mountain biking or road bike and yoga and some stretching. But strengthening, of course, is very important for mountain races because you need your quads a lot and you need to have really good balance. Um, you're jumping around from stone to stone mm-hmm. and f- up and down roots. And it's the, the terrain is not flat and easy and idyllic. It's usually very technical. So you, you need to have very good balance and strong legs mm-hmm. and endurance. Um, there are techniques that you can learn for downhill running and I'm not a bad downhill runner, but still I get over there in the Alps and there are these runners that were born and raised there and they just fly by me. It's mm-hmm. I'm at my limit and I think I'm flying and they just go by like I'm standing still. So there is some t- technique to that. Going uphill is, is going uphill. I don't, I don't know. There, there is some technique, but you just got to power through it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not good with the quick feet. I feel like I'm clumsy on stairs, actually, which is kind of funny, because I've never like lived in a house with stairs or really lived somewhere that I had to use stairs like every day. This is kind of yeah. a, a fun fact that I'm sharing about myself. <laughs> I feel so clumsy on stairs. So, I mean, it put me on a trail, forget it, right?
1: Or that race in <laughs> New York that runs up to what, the Rockefeller or yes. what, the, the skys- skyscraper with the I know what you're talking yeah. about. I
0: would be the last one. You know one. what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yes. I okay. have to hold on to the rail. Like not because because I just feel very clumsy. Like I'm just like I do too. Oh, like going, going up,
1: I'm okay. I'm going down downstairs. I always have to hold on to the rail.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. That is the yeah. the most random little uh, thing.
1: The truth comes out. <laughs> I know, right? So do you have a
0: goal for Everest, a time
1: goal or anything like that? i've been thinking about that that's really hard to predict it's because of the oxygen i'm not sure how that will come into play you know if i judge it according to my other races with similar terrain and similar elevation then i would think i could finish it in about seven hours but i am planning probably more about eight for this race um But it's really hard to say. Of course, uh, I will give my best and and try to be one of the top international women finishers. Uh, But who knows who's going to be there. And uh, I I want to have fun.
0: Are you going to run with your friend that's going with you or anybody?
1: No, she doesn't train all that much. She's more in it for the adventure. And um, it's funny because we talk about what we're worried about with this trip. And I say, I, I yeah, physically I'm fit. I know I'm going to handle all that. It's just the other things like like the food and the flight into the most dangerous airport in the world mm-hmm. and the oxygen. And she's like, oh, all of that is the fun part. And she's like, I'm just not sure if my body's going to get up to the start and how I'm going to get down. So mm-hmm. we're complete opposites. And yeah, we'll see each other at the finish line.
0: huh. I love that though, that you have someone that wants to do these things with you. Right. And then you mm-hmm. can kind yeah. of get in the zone for your run. And
1: then hang out. Yeah, right. It's hard to run with somebody, especially over a long distance. A a shorter race is is doable, but when you're on your feet for eight hours, um, if you have to slow down or try to run faster to keep up with someone, that's very taxing.
0: Oh yeah, you have to be okay with either leaving them or having them leave you. Like it is, you just have to be comfortable with that because it is hard. With any like long distance, you use more
1: energy than, and you don't have that energy to spare. Mm -hmm.
0: And well, Mm -hmm. you might have to wait, I guess, to since you won't have your usual foods at Everest. But what is I like to call it a victory lap after I have (laughs) an awesome (laughs) race or a long run? Kind of my favorite thing to eat after you know a race or long run. Right. What is your favorite thing?
1: (sighs) Well. Eat or drink? I like a glass of wine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not big on painkillers, so the wine does the trick. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, e- eating whatever's there, um, because usually I'm too exhausted to cook, so I leave that to my family to, to feed me. They know what I like, and, and they spoil me, so they're usually there with something there that mm-hmm. I can eat to celebrate. I
0: actually didn't ask about them at all do any of them run with you
1: for some of the races that uh, are local or in the alps my husband will come with usually the two youngest children they're 10 and 12 Mm -hmm. and they take the car and fold down the back seats and put in sleeping bags for the kids because a lot of the races start um during the night at 10 or or over midnight and so the kids can sleep in the car and then we'll have certain meeting points and they'll meet with me along the the race and they'll sometimes have their bikes and then they'll stop and the kids will ride back towards me and meet me and then and then ride with me as I'm running and yeah, that is for me huge when I know, okay, only another 10 K and then I'm going to see them again. And then I come around a corner and there's my little boy standing there Mm -hmm. screaming like crazy. And this is, uh, that just keeps me going. And so they love it too. It's really exciting for them. Yeah. It's a, it's a family affair.
0: I I was going to ask I love that because I was like, I wonder if they realize how awesome, this is do they what do they (laughs) think about the book the fact that you wrote this book
1: telling these stories yeah they think it's really cool Uh and it was hard for me when I left for the desert leaving them of course that's the hardest thing for me about going to Everest too is leaving them Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and when I was in the desert I didn't have contact I was allowed to send one email per day out and they had you know computer tent where we could go and then they received emails and they would print them out and deliver to our tent. But I really couldn't have any live talk with anybody. So I wasn't sure how the family was dealing with it. And the first night I came home and I brought my youngest daughter to bed and kissed her good night. And she looked up at me and she said, mom, I am so glad that you're my mom. Mm. And you know that makes it that makes it all worth it. They're they're proud of me, and I'm a role model for them. And that's that's um, makes it uh, that makes it able for me to continue with this and do this. If they suffered from it, I don't think I'd be able to do that.
0: Awesome, thank you so much, Holly. I think we'll end with that, especially because Mother's Day just passed. Good luck on Everest. Happy Mother's Day. And that actually is inspiring my awards for today. You can get more information on Holly in the show notes at runnyrepeat.com. I will also put links to her website and how to get the book. She is Ultramarathon Mom on Twitter and it's the underscore Ultramarathon underscore Mom on Instagram. But again, I will put links in the show notes to all of that so you can follow along. Now let's get into the awards. Today's award is just first place and it goes to my mom in honor of Mother's Day that just passed. My mom is the best and you have your own first place award to give to your mom or your mom person in your life. But I encourage you to kind of, even though the holiday has technically passed, show them some extra love because they're awesome. And I am just a huge, huge fan of my mom and so, so grateful that I have her as my mom because I would probably be super messed up if not for that. And I also want to remind you to take the half marathon survey. If you have a minute, I'll run it repeat. Thank you so much for listening. If you think you have a friend unlike me, good for you. I'm a little jealous, but... If that friend would be interested in the Run, Eat, Repeat podcast, tell them about the show and please tag at Run, Eat, Repeat on Instagram and let me know what you're doing while you're listening. I think that is super fun. Thank you so much. Have a great run. Thank you for listening to the Run, Eat, Repeat podcast. For more information, check out runeatrepeat.com.